again. I think sometimes we take it for granted, but I praise God we have that privilege of worshiping Him. That's the highest thing we can be engaged in, and praising and worshiping God. So I hope God give us a renewed spirit tonight. Some of you are probably kind of tired on Sunday night, but I hope God will give us the spirit tonight. I got a subject like all subjects that when I get through, the half one I have been told, but I hope God will, bless, will be a blessing to you. I want to talk on the subject of eternal life, and that's a great big subject. It'd be impossible to, to exhaust that at all, but I want to bring some points out. So here's some things I'm going to talk about. Eternal life is something promised. What is eternal life? What should we do with it? Because we have it, we ought to do something with it. And then, uh, how did we get it? How do we get eternal life? Why did we get it? And how do we know we have it? Those are some heads that I like to talk about tonight on eternal life. So first of all, some of the very favorite scriptures, eternal life is something, it's an it's a ironclad promise. Of course, this promise was before the world began in the covenant of grace. So I want to read you two of my favorite scriptures, one of my very favorite in the whole Bible. It's Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Eternal life. Uh, you know, we're all going to live forever. Everybody is. Even though the wicked, it's a, it's a, I don't know whether you call it life or not, it's a, it's a be, they'll be existent, but it'll be a death, an eternal death. The Bible talks about eternal death, eternal destruction. It's kind of hard for us to believe, isn't it? I hadn't died yet, so I don't know what death's all about, really, but I know I've seen a lot of loved ones die and others. I preached a lot of funerals, so we're not going to live forever. And what happens after we die? So we either go to glory or we go to eternal damnation. That's one or the other. Very serious business. It's a living and dying. So eternal life, if you have eternal life and know of you have eternal life, it will encourage you. It's one of the most wonderful things we can preach about. And we have eternal Somebody even mentioned today in one of the prayers over for the hope that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him. Think about this is what motivated Jesus Christ and what motivated you. Think about Jesus Christ. Had to go through some horrible things, didn't he? The horrible uh, experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Continual contradiction of sinners against himself for the time he existed on this earth. Uh, sweated were great drops of blood in Gethsemane, agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the terrible scourging they did to him. And he, 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 think about this. He thought about that. You know, when uh, something is going to happen to me that's kind of bad, maybe I go to a doctor and I expect some bad news, it bothers me. It, I worry about that. Well, Jesus didn't worry. But think about that. The cross is something he knew about every detail of it, his entire existence. So part of his suffering was thinking about and anticipating the cross. And he even prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, if, 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 it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but thy will be done. But that's part of his. But on the other hand, what kept him going was, as a God-man, the joy set before him, knowing that he was going to be totally successful, be reunited with his father, and have the salvation of all his people accomplished. So let me quote that scripture to you. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despite the shame, is set down at the right hand of God. That's what you and me endure. We'd have to endure this life. This is a, the, 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 you know, the old preachers when I was a boy used to call this the low ground of standing sorrow. And that's not to be pessimistic. It's just a, it's just a fact of life. Ever since Adam has sinned, this world has been filled with sin. We have all kinds of problems and struggles like that. But what keeps us going is in hope of eternal life. And I'm going to read the scripture to you in a minute. But I don't, I don't want to anticipate that. I want to just get a punchline on this one. It's so good. But for the joy that's set before him, my friend, the joy set before you is an amazing thing, eternal life. We cannot imagine what eternal life is like. So I want to concentrate on that tonight. That's what will keep you going. When things get so bad, Lord, how can I keep on going? Maybe even like Will with that cancer. And people have all kinds of troubles, maybe family troubles, maybe financial troubles. 
We don't like the way the government's going. We don't like the way the morality of our, immorality of our nation is and all that. And we get so weary, keeps us going. The joy that's set before us, my friend, eternal life. Now, here's my punchline. I love this scripture. I, I'm not going to say it probably one time. I'll like say it about five times. I may say it more. I may say it twice. I'm not sure. Get this up first in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Isn't that, I will say it twice. In hope, hope means a confident expectation. I want you to have that tonight. A confident expectation. It's not just a wimpy wish. That's not, what hope, that's not the scriptural definition of hope. It's a confident expectation and hope of eternal life that God that cannot lie, God cannot lie, promised before the world began. He promised that in the covenant of grace. I won't talk on the covenant of grace tonight, but it's a great subject. Here's how the covenant of grace is all about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit covenanted to save a people from their sins. that before the world began. The glorious doctrine of election. All those blessings in Jesus Christ Given us, my friend, in Christ before the world began. Total cooperation. That's why I preach what I preach. Total cooperation in the Trinity. No dysfunction whatsoever. Beautiful unity. God the Father did the choosing. God said he elected elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God chose a people in Jesus Christ, not because we're better than anybody else. He simply did it because of his own good pleasure. And if you are a recipient of that tonight, how thankful you should be. The Apostle Paul was ecstatically recognized, I'm one of God's elect. He went into spiritual psalms. That's what kept him going. God the Father chose a certain people in Jesus before the world began. Jesus Christ covenanted with the Father, I will bear their sins. I'll be their surety. I will die a redemptive death and live a redemptive life for all the elect. The same number you chose, that's the same number I'm going to die for. The Holy Ghost was part of that also. He said, I will, and every one of those individuals that God the Father chose in Jesus before the world began, the same number Christ died for successfully and paid the redemptive price, I will sometime between their conception and regeneration, I'm going to regenerate them, give them spiritual life, and I'm going to stay with them to the end. He that had begun to get a work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. We don't always feel that, my friend, if you've ever felt the Spirit of God and you don't feel it right now, I want you to be encouraged. You may not always feel it, but if he began to get a work in you, he'll perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That's glorious, isn't it? That, you know, I want to preach on that sometime, the covenant. Let me tell you how good it was, the covenant. My man that baptized me was E.C. Holder. He's a great preacher. I mean, that man could preach. He could feed our souls. And he talked about that covenant of grace. And here's how I can just see it. It's not this way exactly, but I can see it this way. I can just see this great big oak table in heaven. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost sitting around that table and making that covenant. I can just see that. Well, of course, it wasn't that, there's no oak table in heaven that I know of. But he made it so plain. So when I got to studying the Bible, I wanted to find that covenant of grace. And so I, I just kept looking for it. So I got in John Gill's Body of Divinity. I was living up there on the ground by myself for a while. And I got that body of divinity. I, I got to pouring over that. And all of a sudden, the covenant of grace opened up to me. I was so happy. I went out in the backyard at night and just shouted praise to God Almighty. That's how good the covenant of grace is. My friend, in the hope of eternal life, which God cannot lie, promised us before the world began. And he never takes his promises back. Also in 1 John 2.25, this is the promise he had promised us, even eternal life. That's an ironclad promise, something promised. 
Now, what is eternal life? What is it? Well, we know eternal means forever, everlasting, but that's not all about it. There's not only a quantity of, and you can't say time because the time will be no more. We sing that wonderful song when we've been there 10,000 years. Why not say 10 trillion years? Why not? Why not say 10 trillion, whatever, quadrillion? I don't know. You math people know more numbers than, than I know about that. But it's never going to come to the end. And let me tell you the good news about that. This is going to blow your mind out of the water. It ought to. My friend, you, have you been born again? You know Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. I'll read that scripture to you. You know Jesus Christ in an intimate way. But as you live, you'll know him better and better. Through the sufferings you go through, you'll know him better and better. When you die, there'll be a quantum leap of your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll know him like you've never known him. But that's just the beginning. You'll know more about him for an eternity. You'll never come to be God. But you will know more. That, that, I can't comp- can you comprehend that? No, you can't. Heaven, you'll never get bored in heaven. That eternal inheritance faileth not away. We, get t- we have something wonderful here. Maybe a new house or something like that. We're just thrilled with it. Maybe a new suit or something like that. We're thrilled with it. After a while, the new wears off. I guarantee you, the new will never wear off in heaven. It'll get better and better and better. It's amazing. I can't describe it. It's indescribable. The, God, the Bible says that. So again, now, so, how, so what is eternal life? Well, let's talk about the quality. Now, we've talked about the quantity. It never comes to an end. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's unbelievable. Now, I listen to myself on tape. and something, I've been saying, ain't that great for a long time. I'm going to keep on saying it. <laughs> Maybe I can come up with something else even better than that. It's great. You can't overdo it. You can't brag on God too much. Okay, let me tell you a definition of eternal life. The Bible gives it to us. This is, this is over in John 17, 3. This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. That's eternal life. It's a personal acquaintance and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read that to you again. And I want to say something about that. This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Well, that's so intimate, it can't be described. You know, the, the one flesh relationship between husband and wife is a picture of that between us and Christ. That's what Ephesians 5 says. God gives marriage, and, it, and that's why we ought to work on our marriages and make it be better because what we're doing, we're preaching to the world that intimacy between the Lord Jesus Christ and his elect. So let's try to do the best we can in our marriages. Me too, me included. I'll do better. That one flesh, my friend, we're one flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ. You look over the book of the 17th chapter of John, the great high priestly prayer, look at the times one is mentioned. We're one with him. You think about that over in John 17. But here's how, and I, I didn't used to like John 6. Isn't that awful? Some scriptures I didn't used to like. I didn't understand them. I still don't understand them, but I like them now. This to me sounded kind of gross, but it's not gross at all. And I read to you John 6, 54. Christ speaking here, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I used to, that's, kind of, that's like a cannibal, isn't it? Eating his flesh, drinking his blood. That's not what that talk. What that really means is the incredible intimacy. Incredible intimacy. That's the way the Holy Spirit described that. Um, it's like I'm eating his flesh. I'm just one with him. I'm one with him. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's life eternal. Well, if we, and, I'll, and I'll give you a test. It's the last thing. If you've got it, and I've got a good test for you. But let me say, if you've got eternal life, what should you do with it? You ought to do something with it. Let's read about that a little bit. Now, let me go back to John 7, 2, 3 again. 
this is life eternal, we might, that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Well, here's what Paul said about it over in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He knew Jesus Christ when he was born again on the road to Damascus. He didn't know who he was. He thought he did, but he did not. He, was, he thought he was an enemy of Jesus Christ. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost got a hold of him, caused him to be born again. He became an intimate friend of Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ. But he's not satisfied with the level of his knowledge, and I don't want you to be either. I want you to grow in your intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do that, by the way, and ought to do that. You can fellowship him more. You can know him better. You know, we're all Arminians by nature. Arminian means work salvation. That's my definition of it. So here's where we're messed up. I messed up by Arminianism. I know better. I've been preaching for 55 years. I know better, but I still think I've got to be good enough for God to like me. Isn't that terrible? Sometimes I have a hard time approaching him as a friend because I think, well, shoot, I'm an old sinner. How can I approach him? That's, that's crazy to feel that way, but we do. The devil puts it in. My friend, we can come to him. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to look at him and fellowship with him. He likes that. He invites us to do that. Come to me, all you labor heavy laden. If you feel like a rotten sinner, you're in good shape if you feel that way. Because everybody's a rotten sinner, but not everybody knows they're rotten sinners. Some people are self-righteous. The Lord told those Pharisees, I came not to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. They call him a friend of publicans and sinners. Do you feel that way tonight? I know I'm a sinner. So he's my friend because I know I'm a sinner. I'm a loudly stinking sinner. My friend, by myself, I'm a cesspool of sin, both inward and outward. The older I get, the more I realize that. So if I've got eternal, if I know him, Paul knew him, but he was not satisfied with his knowledge of him. He wanted to grow in his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to give up everything for that knowledge. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Yea, doubtless, I count off. He was talking about some of his accomplishments in the verses before here. Talking about some of the things he had done. He was a very uh, important man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin court at a young age. He was a stellar member. He was well respected. He gave all that up, all of it up, and suffered the rest of his life. Why do you, why are you willing to give that up? Are there any kind of ambitions you need to give up for Christ? My friend, we ought to be willing to give up anything for Jesus Christ. And if we ever get to know who he is, we'll be willing to do that. And Paul didn't gripe about it either. He wasn't complaining about it. Let's read that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count thee but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own, or my own righteousness, which is of the law, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Look at verse 10. That I may know, it's a, it's a cry. You can just see Paul crying out, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him. Paul, you already know him. Now you don't understand, I will know him better. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable to his death. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Paul said, I'm not complaining about all the stuff I gave up. I lived a tough life. People hate my guts. Forty men one time made a covenant that they had not eaten or drank until I was dead. One time for several hours, people threw dust up in there and say, it's not fit such a man to live on the earth. Read the 11th, the, the, the 11th chapter for 2 Corinthians. He got beat many, many times by rods and whips. He suffered shipwreck. He spent time in jail, but he wasn't griping a bit about it. What's he doing over there in the 16th chapter of Acts when they, they beat him and Silas? 
and had these old stripes, my friend, and put him in the stocks in the prison in an uncomfortable position. What in the world was Paul doing? Singing praises at midnight. Singing praises at midnight. Not complaining, oh, I'm this old Christian life's a rough old life. God to kill joy. That's what the world tried to tell you. They're crazy. They don't know what joy is. These people who live immoral lives don't know what they're missing. But my friend, the way that God blesses people to have an intimate life is in the bonds of marriage of a husband and wife. That's a wonderful pleasure God gives only in marriage. And people, my friend, who claim they're having a big time by messing around, they're just really miserable. There's no true lasting pleasure in sin. There may be pleasure in sin for a season, not the lasting pleasure, like pleasure we enjoy. Hallelujah. So, Paul said, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. All right, let's look at a few more scriptures. What should we do with eternal life? What should we do with it? Well, we find in some other places what we ought to do with it. I'm going to read two scriptures from 1 Timothy. You've got eternal life, friend. I'm sure you do. So what do you do with it? Well, you want to know more about the Lord. You want to walk closer to him. You want to make some priorities of spending time with him in prayer. You want to make sure you're at church all you can get the gospel you can get. You want to help people out. You want to serve people. You want to love people. You want to love the word of God. You want to count other things. You know, your, your priorities change. I've told you this before, but I'll tell it again. Maybe you've forgotten it. We have a song in our book that every time I sing it, I think about this. One time, Timothy and I, and I've forgotten who else, were over in India on Yukon, this beautiful mountain of Yukon where they have the coffee plantations. It was a playground for the British back when they were the rulers in India. So we're up there, and we are going to this pavilion on top of Yukon Mountain. Brother Gunner's there from other Indians. There's a guy named J.C., who's been a very successful Indian businessman. I loved old J.C. And we got to talking, and I just got chill bumps as J.C. began to talk. I felt such a kinship with him, this old Indian. He said, since I've known Christ, my priorities have changed. I don't like the entertainment I used to have. I'm not interested in stuff like that anymore. I'm not interested in worldly pleasure. I just felt goosebumps. This Indian man, my friend, I felt total kinship with because I had a similar experience that he had had. So if you've got eternal life, here, let's read 1 Timothy 2 verses over there, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. We've got to be Christian soldiers. We can't be wimps. We got to have the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal. They're mighty through God to putting down a stronghold. We go to Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. We fight the good fight of faith. But look, 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 what else he says? Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, had professed good professions before many witnesses. What do you mean, lay hold on eternal life? You brought, my friend, grab a hold of it. That's what that word, it's a, it's a powerful word in the Greek. Grab a hold of that eternal life you've got inside you. How do you do that? By thinking about it. I'll give you some scripture. You're thinking about it. You meditate on it. You put value on it. I've got eternal life. I've got this precious treasure. I'm heading for glory. My life is based on this. You know, I do a lot of meditating at night. I told you that this morning. An old fellow like me sometimes, I lie there in bed, and all of a sudden these good thoughts come to me. I think I go my whole life. Now, my, I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. I've not been the man I should have been, but i tell you one thing. I thank God I can say this with all my thoughts, the tenor of my life, that is the, my, my main life goal, has been to serve God. I thank God that. I'm not bragging about that. I'm a sorry sinner. 
I'm glad the most important thing to me is serving God in his church. I was raised that way. My mom and daddy lived that life. The daddy had to make a living. He had a traveling settlement, had to be gone all week. Worked awful hard. Mama had to raise us kids and all that. And we, we didn't have any money much. But my friend, my mama and my daddy, they loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave me a heritage. If your mom and daddy do kids, you ought to thank God for that. That's a wise way to live. So if you've got eternal life, I want you to grab a hold of it. Lay hold on eternal life. Think about it. Grab a hold of it. And he said the same thing in verse 19. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 12 I read to you. Now read chapter 6, verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves. Talking about people who are using their money the right way. Rich men using their money the right way. Laying up in store for themselves a good, a good uh, foundation against the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. So let's lay hold on eternal life. Now let me give you a couple of scriptures. I didn't have my notes, but I just thought about them. Let's think about a few things. Let's think about having a little bit. You know, you know uh, they say that sometimes fresh air is good for you. Y'all ever heard that? My mom would say, take, take him some good breaths of fresh air. That's what doctors say sometimes. One old guy, exercise guy, said that breathing, uh, deep breathing has made many a weak man strong, many a well man, I mean, many a sick man well. Breathe a little heavenly air. How about a good, isn't it good to go out in the spring sometime and you smell that good old air? Ooh, man, just, you just breathe. Breathe some heavenly air. How are you going to breathe heavenly air? Well, get in Colossians 3, breathe a little heavenly air. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If you're dead, your life is hid with Christ. When Christ says your life shall appear, you shall appear in glory with him. Think about those verses. Read them. If you haven't memorized them, read them. Colossians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Well, what else? Let's read a couple of more places. See, we're laying hold on eternal life, precious friends. Let's look over in the last few verses of first, Second Corinthians chapter 4. It's a, it's a one talking about trials and afflictions. Lots of trials, lots of afflictions in Second Corinthians chapter 4. So I'll start in verse 16 for time's sake. I, the whole context would be wonderful. But anyway, take my word for it. Read it. They're having a rough old time like you have a rough old time sometimes. I know you do. You're a sinful human being. Young and old, we all have trials and afflictions. So we feel like fainting sometimes, and the devil wants to make us faint. So look at these verses. This is breathing some heavenly air. Get a good old breath of heavenly air. Verse 16, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, and our outward men are perishing. Your body is perishing. You kids don't know that yet. But you'll find out sooner or later. Our outward man is perishing. Sin is taking its toll on us. We're, we're, we're going down in our bodies and minds. Sometimes it's disease. Sometimes old age. Our outward man is perishing. Take my word for it. Take the word Lord's word for it. But the inward man is renewed day by day. Hallelujah. The inner man, the born again part, does not get old. It's eternal. You've got eternal life right now in you. Right now. When you die, your life goes back to God who gave it. Isn't that amazing? You've got eternal life now. You ought to take, don't communicate with it. Your inner man is renewed day by day. I've seen so many people who are so sick to, to death. But their souls were rejoicing. I hope I'll be that way. I really do. 
I love what John Newton said on his deathbed. A man named William J. went to see him. How you doing? Old John could hardly talk. He said, I've got to where I can't remember hardly anything. I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. I hope I'll remember that on my deathbed, don't you? You know, I don't know how I'm going to die, but I'll tell you a good way to die. Old V.J. Lawrence died a good death. Old Vernial, he was, a, he was quite a character, Vernial. He was a scriptorian, but he died down in Texas. You won't believe this. Old Vernial, how he, he died preaching. He was preaching on soaring away on eagle's wings, and all of a sudden he said bye-bye and hit the deck. That'd be a good way to go, wouldn't it? Don't be afraid. I don't think I'm going tonight. I might, so that'd be a good way to go. Yeah, he said bye-bye. He hit the deck. He was gone. He got glory. All right. For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Get this. For our light affliction. Now, sometimes it seems like a heavy affliction. This is looking from God's viewpoint. If you ask Will right now, is this a hard affliction? Yes, yeah, hard. If you ask my brother-in-law, Art Tyson, who died of Parkinson's disease, is this rough, Art? Yes, yeah, rough. It's heavy, but not as far as God's concerned. Not compared with glory. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that moment seems like endless forever sometimes, but as far as God's concerned, just for a moment. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not the things that are seen, the things that are not seen, the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. It's amazing, it's amazing to be a billionaire, isn't it? Oh, oh, Bill Gates is a billionaire. I don't know how many billion he got. Oh, Warren Buffett's a billionaire. Boy, that must be something else. Now you buy a jet, private jet plane. In fact, I've got a man I know very well. He used to fly for Delta and had to retire. Now he's a private pilot of a guy who's a businessman, and uh, he he got to be on call all the time. He wants to go somewhere, get in the plane, take off. He got a daughter that goes to college up at Columbia University, New York. Flew up there, got her, brought her back home on holiday, take her back up there. I mean, he got money out the ears. But I'm going to tell you, he won't take that plane with him when he goes. He won't take a penny with him when he goes. Old Bill Gates won't take him. I hope, I hope he's saved. I doubt if he is. He, my friend, we, we, bought, we brought nothing in this world. We carried nothing out materially. We carry a lot out spiritually, and we will. While we look not the things that are seen, don't look too much at the things that are seen. I'm not saying we've got to be unrealistic. I'm not saying that. We have to exercise sanctified common sense that Tony McAvoy used to talk about. We've got to make livings. We've got to get educations. You've got to have some ambition. But not inordinately. Not to the point that we relegate that to a minor, our spiritual stuff to a minor position. Our major thing is serving God. We're seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Number one, that's what we're doing. That's what makes us live a successful life. While we look not at the things that are seen. The things that are not seen. How do you do that? You've got an eye of faith. That's how you do it. If you're born again, you've got an eye of faith. We walk not by sight, but by faith. You can only do that because you're born again. The things that are seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. Now, one more place on that one. I'm going to go to another topic in a minute. Look over in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John. My friend, this is very practical. I'm talking to you tonight. So, brother, doc, this is a doctrinal sermon. I know it's doctrinal, but my friend, doctrinal sermons have great practical value. Great practical value. We, let's see in 1 John chapter 3. First three verses here. Behold, my pastor that baptized me used to preach on this a lot. 
He said, that word, behold, means pay attention. Something good is fixing to happen here. Behold, what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, we should be called the sons of God. We're adopted children of God in God's family. That's amazing. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, but it knew him not. That's still true today. The world does not know God's children. Jesus Christ said in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 14, I've given them thy word. The world has hated them. Therefore, they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. The world doesn't understand Christians. Beloved, now we're the sons of God, even now. You're son of God now if you're born again. You're a child of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Amazing, isn't it? Well, how practical is that? Look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. This heavenly doctrine makes you want to live right. It puts iron in your blood. I will live for that great God who saved me. If you're meditating on that, it'll make a good Christian out of you. It won't make you lazy one bit. It'll energize you. You've got something to live for. You'll be like the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, which the great resurrection chapter. Therefore, my brethren, be, uh, how, for me, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know your work is not, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that great? Some people spend their whole lives and it's just vanity. If you're serving God, that's not true. This is a good old book, isn't it? I like this whole book, don't y'all? The good old Bible. All right. Let's go now and talk about, finish my topics up here. All right. How do we get it? How do we get it? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. How do we get eternal life? Well, I guess we earned it. No. I did my part and God did his. Well, you did your part. All right. I'm going to tell you what your part is. All right. You ready for this? You got a part in salvation. You do all the sinning. God does all the saving. How about that? We do a pretty good on our part. No, we do plenty of sinning. But God does the saving, friends. Let me tell you how we get eternal life. It's a gift, a free gift of God. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's a free gift of God. And then in John 17, 2, as this high priestly prayer, speaking to his father, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He gives us eternal life. That's that's the gift of God. Now, why do we get it? Why do we get it? Well, I'll give you a verse on that. Over Acts chapter 13, 48. So what I did here, I looked some scriptures up about eternal life. I'm just picking and choosing. I couldn't do all of them. We'd be here all night. But I hope it'll be helpful. Acts 13, 48. It's not an accident. You've got eternal life. There's no there's no Doubt about getting eternal life. Some people doubt it. Well, I, I hope I do my part. Or if I don't do my part, I won't make it. And God does his part. But if I don't do my part, I won't make it. Stuff like that. That's crazy. It's not right. I don't say crazy. I, some people believe that I love. But they're wrong. My friend, it's planned from eternity. That's why you get it. Look over here, Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They're ordained to eternal life before the world began. All right. And my final scripture is, how do you know you got it? How do you know you got it? Well, I can talk a lot about that, but I'm going to give you one verse. 
I hope it'll help you. John 3.15. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Let me ask you that question. Let's think about it a little bit. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm going to ask you a question. Good. Daniel, good for you. Let's talk about that a minute. You, let's, do we really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in Bethlehem? He was really born, a real genuine baby. Mary was his mother. The Holy Ghost came upon her. You really believe that we don't hear anything about him until he's 12 years old? He got this brilliant mind. He confounds all the wise doctors and all that. Do you believe that? Do you believe then, my friend, we don't know any more about him until he's about 30 years old? He, he's, uh, he, John the Baptist is the forerunner. He talked about him. He said, as he walked by the sea, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Do you believe, my friend, he ministered for three and a half years and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He healed the sick. He uh, gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He didn't go to a funeral because it wasn't a funeral when he got there. How about that? He wasn't a funeral when he got there. They didn't have no funeral for Lazarus. He, he popped out of the grave. He spoiled their plans. Do you believe, my friend? I love this one. I just get chill bumps. Do you believe that one time the waves were raging and the apostles were scared to death and that man, that God man said, peace be still and the waves and the winds settled down. I believe that. Do you believe that? My friend, do you believe that he actually gave his life on the cross after tortured, being tortured by his enemies and they mocked him and he actually died. He really did die, but he did something you can't do. You can't control your going, but he controlled his. He went when the time was right. Into thy hand I command my spirit. You can't do that. You're going to just, when God gets ready for you, you're going. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how many doctors you got. When your time comes, our time are in God's hands. He gave it the ghost. He said it's finished, and it was finished. Then do you believe they really placed him in a tomb? They really placed him in a tomb, Jodel's tomb. They wrapped him in those clothes, those grave clothes, and put him in a tomb. Do you really believe, my friend, that three days later he came out of that grave and he showed himself by many infallible proofs, the same one who had died was alive again? Do you really believe in the second chapter, the first chapter of Acts, that they actually were looking as he caught up in the heaven? They just stared up there, their gazes just transfixed on him. And the angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing to the heavens? This Jesus who you see going to heaven, he could come again in a light manner. Do you believe that? Well, you got it made in the shade. You've got eternal life. If you really believe that in the heart. If it's not just, if it's not just intellectual knowledge, it's something that warms your heart. My friend, you got eternal life. I say, praise God, don't y'all? So I hope you and hope me, let's lay hold on that wonderful eternal life. It'll keep us going. We, isn't it great? A gift of eternal life. I, I, eternal, eternal, eternal. Everlasting. Never comes to the end. Wonderful. I don't know what to say. Uh, one of you Dickens, Jerry, you're Tony One, come make the announcements. We won't have a handshake. One of you, dear brother, come make the announcements. I'm glad to see you tonight. I'm glad to worship God with you tonight. I'm glad you came out on Sunday night. God deserves our service.